Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be discussing Saturday's late 1-0 win over Brighton and Hove Albion at the Amex. Yes, we were penned back for most of the game. Brighton probably should have won, but they didn't. Manuel Solomon in the 88th minute. I have never known an away end quite like yesterday. What a day on the South Coast. Three words on everyone's lips. Smash and grab. I am joined today by Jack Kelly. Hello. Hello all. Dan Cook. Hello. Hi, Sammy. And making his debut on the podcast, Bryce Koval. Hello. Hello, everyone. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It may be your debut on the podcast um, for Bryce, um, but it's definitely not his first involvement in Fulhamish. Um, Bryce has been uh, a secret weapon that we've had doing tons of our social media for a couple of years now. Um, first from the States, but now you've moved to Madrid, which makes it a little bit easier for you to come on the podcast. So yeah, Bryce, yeah. it's great to actually have you on the podcast, um, despite you kind of being in and around the fold for, for quite a while. Yeah, I know. It feels good. I've been behind the scenes, but... I've always dreamed of being on the pod, so oh. dream debut after a match like that. Can't ask yeah. for more. As you mentioned just before the we started recording, you thought it might be a sad recording, a sad debut for large parts of the game, and you'd have been totally right. But in the end, uh, it all just worked out fantastically. Um, Dan, please may you do some three-word reviews for us. Yeah, I mean, we had loads, obviously, and a lot of them centred around our man of the moment. And that is one of them from Louis JW, which I did love. Man or the moment is a, is a nice. really good one. FFC Dom with we're doing it, which I think is absolutely valid. And we'll discuss later whether we're doing it means Europa Conference League or Champions League. Um, <laughs> got two from our pod favourite, Richard Solbamba, from which first one, yo-yo to euro which i think is really nice that's brilliant um it's it's a really really good one from soul i mean these are the levels we expect from the man though yeah um you know he's very good at this we had also had drew heatley with you know our own with amex air miles there's a lot of european uh, focus things here and then finally neil laws who put in what is technically a two-word review but we'll just we'll update it to three R Brighton rocks. I've added an R there and a photo of Tim Reeve and Issa Diop who were absolutely immense at the back today. All right. Well, let's get going with uh, the match reaction. I have so many questions, by the way. Like, I've never seen the amount of questions that we've had coming in. So I'm going to dedicate a big part of the show uh, to questions later on. Um, But Dan, you were next to me yesterday at the Amex and we watched with awe the entire game Brighton and Hove Albion were amazing for most of the match 
But just as the game went on and the longer it stayed nil-nil, we started saying to each other, could you imagine if we actually somehow won this? We, maybe we could. And I think we were kind of, was, we, it was in hope rather than expectation that we were saying that. And yeah, the feeling when Mana Solomon scored, I tweeted it. At the time, I said I floated and went to heaven for about a minute. My soul <laughs> left my body. It was just sensational. I mean, I, I can confirm you were getting bear hugged quite strongly by me. That's, I think that <laughs> potentially that might have been why you felt like you ascended to heaven, but it was uh, unbelievable. <laughs> I think I turned to you at one point and said that if we nick this, it would be like an all time away day like really up there for just a full experience you know it was a good day we went to the pub we were in lewis beforehand having a couple of pints got the train in and yeah brighton were brilliant i mean we were saying it there was just some passages of play where we looked at each other and we're like that's just very very good football and there was very little we could do about it but i think in general defensively i thought we were really good i was a little bit surprised at how high brighton's xg was because i'm not it didn't feel like they had that many clear-cut chances they had a lot of shots but it felt like we handled situations really well. Issa Diop and Tim Ream were brilliant. And yeah, to, to nick it like that. It's, 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 I can't think of many games in, in recent memory where we've nicked a game like that and really felt like we've done a job on an opposition. It's just brilliant. The one that um, someone mentioned to me afterwards, and I'm a really sorry, I can't remember who it was, but I spoke with speaking to someone after the game. And they said shades of Middlesbrough mm. under Yukanovic when Norwood scored in the 90th oh. minute. But <laughs> it, that was obviously a bit of a smash and grab, but it wasn't the same level of performance where Fulham did nothing for the entire game, then won it. It was a bit of a 50-50 match. Borough shaded it definitely that afternoon, but then Fulham won it at the death and it was amazing. But I've, Jack, I've never known a game quite like that where just the other team would just so much better than us throughout the 90 but saying that I'm not 100% going to go sit here and be like Brighton absolutely deserved to win there wasn't a chance that Brighton had that I, I thought oh my god how haven't they scored that it was still a very resolute good Fulham performance Fulham kind of deserved the win obviously yes Brighton had more of the game I'm not making much sense here but None, yeah. I didn't come out of it it wasn't like Brighton had 20 guilt edge charts. Leno pulled off a million wonder saves. They had a lot of territory. They had a lot of the ball. They worked it fantastically, but Fulham kind of made their own luck yesterday. Yeah. I mean, first of all, they had a lot of half chances um, to, to yes. say the least. I think um, the passage of play, like Dan was saying, they were phenomenal and actually they were carving us open quite quite at ease and if, if it wasn't for last ditch challenges from Reem and, and Diop we would have been in trouble Leno helped mm. us out on a, on a few occasions as well but um, we dug in and it was it was quite extraordinary um, the, the game ironically I, obviously I wasn't drinking or anything so sometimes when you drink you completely forget what the game was like but because of the manner of the the manner literally of the winner um, the whole game was a blur. I didn't remember what happened. I was like, I can't remember a single chance they had. I think the best chance that, that Brighton had was probably the Lewis Dunk header in the first, in the second half because it was a free yeah. header and it was wide. That was probably the closest they came. But I, I, I don't know how we won, honestly, um, especially with... What was it What was it like? Obviously, you were working yesterday, so you were in the press box in the Brighton end. 
what did it look like when Man of Solomon scored in the away end? Because it felt magic. It must have. And obviously there's been a lot of videos going around today. Just half of Brighton just filmed the game, by the way. <laughs> How many different that. angles are there of the away end? It's really weird. Like, just get off your phone, lad. Stop filming the entire match. But anyway, um, yeah, just you must have had an incredible vantage point for that goal. Well, it was funny because I was sitting next to someone. I was getting quite chatty with him and uh, he was on work experience at Brighton, he wasn't a Brighton fan, but he had a soft spot for them. He wanted Brighton to win. Obviously, I'm a Fulham fan. I wanted Brighton. I wanted Fulham to win. Um, when the winning goal went in, um, I did everything you could do when you score a goal, but I made no noise doing it. I wanted to stay very professional. <laughs> otherwise, you know, I'd be in trouble. Um, but it was surreal. I just sort of lost my head, but without making any sound it was it was incredible um the away end was amazing and I was like oh god I need to get this on camera because it's it was so good um it was it was like you know Garnaccio's winner at United against United for for United against Fulham their away end limbs it was like that from Fulham like serious bodies everywhere um and yeah i, I can, I can confirm yeah <laughs> there yeah. were bodies all over the shop absolutely all over the shop um bryce obviously you were watching um on the telly what was it like for you when you uh when you saw Mada solomon's winner could you could you believe it yeah i was gonna say to jack like maybe you weren't drinking but the adrenaline was certainly yeah. flowing sometimes that can make you forget and that was how i felt i mean to go to a place you like Brighton and do the double over them is unreal. I think like a lot of clubs would be more than happy to kind of model themselves after Brighton because they've been so good. They've been so successful in the transfer market. They've dominated most of the games they've played in this season, which yesterday they did as well. But, you know, quintessential smash and grab. And I just lost it in my living room, jumping up and down, (laughs) hugging the people I was watching with. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I watched a combined maybe two or three hours of the limbs in the away end and videos of the goal. And so, yeah, as someone that watches most games on the television, having those videos from the ground and content like this is, is so crucial and it's just so much fun. And, and you're heading to England, is it, is it next week, the week after? You might, they must be getting you extra excited. Yeah, so I'm coming for two weekends in a row. Um, I'm living in Madrid, but coming for two weekends in a row to see, hopefully get a ticket to the Brentford game, and then I'm going to the Arsenal game at the Cottage. So really excited. My last, the last match I was at was West Brom away last March which if you remember, we lost 1-0. It was yeah. pretty sad experience. So <laughs> hoping for a little bit better luck this time, but, but yeah. yeah, really excited. Uh, um, Dan, let's come on a little bit to the first half in Fulham's lineup. Um, there was a rumor swirling around the pub. Uh, people seem to think it came from me. I just found, I saw someone on Twitter, but yeah. Um, the rumour was that Mitro wasn't going to be playing and that Bobby Reed was up top and the rumour was absolutely um, spot on. We did kind of hear in the week from Peter that Mitrovic did pick up a knock against Forrest and that there was every chance that he might be struggling. But there was also the same kind of um, news about Willian because he apparently picked up a knock against Forrest and was struggling a little bit as well. So it was just that one change where Wilson effectively came in. It felt like more than one change. It was really weird seeing the lineup because obviously it was such a fundamental change. Um, and BDR in the false nine. Um, I mean, a difficult game to experiment in. 
I wouldn't exactly say the experiment was a roaring success, uh, BDR at night, at false nine. Yeah, no. And I think Marco actually himself like admitted that it sort of didn't work as a, as an idea. And I guess to an extent we can understand it because we were discussing it before the game and whilst you lose the physical presence of a Vinicius instead of you know, when Mitro is not available, Bobby's mm-hmm. sort of on ball ability maybe allows him to hold it up a bit better if he's receiving it into feet and stuff. But I just thought Brighton's press was so good that it forced us into going long so often that it just meant that Bobby wasn't in the game at all. I mean, up against Webster and Lewis Dunk, he's got no hope of winning a header. Like there's, and there's nothing you can do about that. And I don't think it's his fault that the before his performance was poor. It's just that we, we couldn't really play to his strengths in those moments because Brighton's press was so good. And I saw, so I understood what Silva was doing, but you know, ultimately do we win if if we don't do that? I don't know. Like this, you can say you know maybe he should have brought on Vinicius sooner. Maybe he should have brought on Solomon sooner. But I guess he's brought them on at the perfect time in that game because it's you know tired legs. So the game got a bit stretched. Vinicius used his strength that we were probably crying out for in the first half, and we get the winner. So masterclass slash probably should have done that from the beginning, but it's worked in the end. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we looked a little bit toothless up front, Jack, but at the back, Fulham are so impressive. We haven't conceded two goals in the league since that United game that you referenced. So we haven't conceded two in the league since the World Cup. The only time we've conceded two was in the Cup against Sunderland, which I'm not re- I'm not really going to count. You might notice, by the way, speaking of not counting the Cup, I didn't play the horn today. Some people asked. It is technically three wins in a row, but let's wait for three league wins in a row. We know that that... Sunderland game. I'm not going to count that for the horn. Um, but Jack, the the defence, the unit, that bank of four in Burnt Leno. And like, yes, Brighton had lots of half chances yesterday, but it was all the last it's tackling from, from Ream, from Diop. I thought Robinson wasn't great going forward yesterday, but I thought going back, he nearly always kind of had Solly March's number. Kenny Tete kept um, Matoma very, very quiet. And this unit that now that Silver is built up at the back, I think we've got the third most clean sheets in the league with eight. It's it's incredible how actually at the beginning of the season, our, my, our defence was our biggest worry. I remember those games, run of games where we kept conceding twice, even though we suddenly we were winning games 3-2 and stuff. Right now, it is the bedrock on which this team is built on. At the beginning of the season, it was how many goals we were scoring. Right now, the reason that we're getting points is because of just that phenomenal back five who just works so well together. Yeah, it starts from the base. It starts from Leno and his terrific goalkeeping capabilities. Um, he's won us so many points this season, it's it's unheard of. You look at those four on paper, Tete, Ream, Diop, Robinson, they don't scream to you top six Premier League back four. You know, Robinson was, was questionable last season in the championship. Ream has always had a cloud over his potential of performing in the Premier League. And obviously he's he's surpassed any expectation again. Um, Diop came from West Ham and West Ham fans were saying, thank God we got him off the books. We've got Tilo Kero, who's going to sort all our issues out. We'll, let's, uh, we'll, we'll revisit <laughs> that in May. And then Kenny Tete, who, who of course um, has always been very, very good for Fulham. I've, I've never really seen him have a bad game apart from Benfica in pre-season where we all had a bad game. Um, phenomenal last-ditch challenges. Um, I think Reem, there was an instance in the first half where he like slipped and still managed to get the ball away. That was really scary. 
Um, Matoma was good. Matoma was really good, but Tete just got the better of him in the second half. There was a couple of times where he got, there was a time where he got dragged down and it looked like it could have been a penalty, but hardly anything in it. Um, it's amazing. Four clean sheets away from home in the league in a row. I can't remember the last time that's ever happened. Has that ever happened for Fulham? Um, uh, obviously, we certainly can... not in the top flight. No, uh, we conceded two at City. One was a penalty. One was an Alvarez great goal. Um, Palace, obviously, we kept them out. We kept out Leicester, kept out Brighton. Uh, and obviously, uh, sorry, the goal to we the last goal we conceded was Isaac uh, against um, Newcastle. Last minute yeah. of the game, um, and Tosin was on the pitch on, on that occasion as well. So um, insane. I don't know. I don't know what more to say. It's 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 phenomenal. Yeah, Bryce. I, I mean, that is the bedrock of this team right now. And um, the midfield uh, had a a difficult game. Just the the pure quality that they were up against. I mean, Polina and Reed and Pereira. They worked hard. They hassled. They got in the way where they needed to. But just a sensational midfield that we came up against. Caicedo and McAllister um, just looked so, so solid in there. Obviously, Pascal Gross is a fantastic player as well. The fact that he's probably the weakest of the three, I think, says an awful lot about that kind of midfield trio. So it was a tough day at the office. And, and Brighton, they are one of the best sides in this league. But it maybe just was their slight lack of depth up front really Evan Ferguson is going to be a, a a great player and I know Jack Collins is very excited um for that and his Ireland Ireland ability um but that midfield that we came up against yesterday was was just at times almost unplayable yeah Brighton have so many incredible players players that have come through this year like Casado McAllister like you said um they have so many good young players Ferguson only 18 Bonanote came on. He's only 18 years old. He looked pretty sharp. I think it was like only a second appearance or something like that. But I thought Paulinha particularly had a really solid game, just breaking the play up, Kikano, you because know, we spent so much time without the ball. Was unlucky to get a yellow at the end. I actually think that was a, a fair challenge. But yeah, I think it was interesting the way that, that Silva set up. With BDR up top, I think some of that thinking, I was surprised to not see him on the right because of the threat of Matoma Estupinian. I thought he might put Bobby on the right just to kind of nullify that. But I actually thought Harry Wilson did a pretty good job of tracking back. Um, and Tete did so well against Matoma, who's been one of the best wingers in the league, I would say, since the restart. But Nothing new for Kenny Tete. You know, we saw him shut down Mudrik and he's just turning into a hobby now, shutting down <laughs> some of the best wingers in the league. So, but yeah, our midfield was incredible. Harrison Reed didn't really put a foot wrong and it was definitely a tough match. Like I, I saw something about Bobby Reed only had six touches in the first half and none in the box. So it was just that kind of game where I spent a lot of time without the ball. Um, which can always be difficult, but soaked up pressure and it paid off in the end. So it's all we had to do. Just on just on Bobby Reid, I I reckon this season we're not far off for his Fulham career completing every outfield position. <laughs> yeah. He's got centre back and what left back. I mean he might have filled in at left back at some point as a sub, maybe, but he's centre back and left back, I make it, and maybe holding midfield if you want to be pedantic, but he is covered every position outfield now. 
Yeah. Which is magnificent. If Leno gets sent off and we don't have any subs left, he, he might would be, be the, the one, one that's yeah. yeah. I, I think he's a little bit too short to go in goal. <laughs> surely. <laughs> it's surely it's like Stick Diop. It, yeah. 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 Or Mitro. I reckon Mitro would thrive. I reckon he'd love it. That would be fun. I think D- I think Dio's but he'd throw himself around goal and he'd come he'd, yeah. he'd come crashing out. He'd play as some sort of Manuel Neuer sweeper keeper, wouldn't he? Just like yeah. racing off his line. Um yeah, actually I don't want Fulham to get us I don't want this us to have the situation where we need to try it, but it would be funny. Maybe a preseason friendly next year. That could be uh, that could be a laugh. Um Dan, I mean, obviously football fans on Twitter are always notoriously salty. Fulham fans would probably be the same if we were in Brighton's shoes. But there was so much on Twitter. Oh, I couldn't bear to watch that every week. Oh, Fulham are anti-football. All of this. I just see it as necessary evil yesterday. Yes, I could see it every time that it was just, there was those moments where we almost just wanted a break. Even about five minutes in, I think Fulham were like, wow, Brighton are on top here. Someone just go down and hold their head. Um, There was a lot of, fake head injuries but I don't know a part of me wants to kind of understand where people are coming from and I do get annoyed when Fulham are on top and Peterborough do it to us in the championship but it is a it is the sport at the end of the day and I am very proud of Fulham doing whatever it takes to win a game like that yesterday yes it's the dark arts and all of that but I don't know is it just saltiness or is there some you know, merits to what Brighton fans are saying. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I, I can see the merit in it, but I disagree with it strongly because we we see every game that Fulham play. And so we know that Fulham aren't an anti-football unit. You know, there are teams that exist out there that very much are. But I think, and that's the difference here, is that we know that nine games out of 10, we go out there and we play front foot, aggressive, attractive football. But there's always going to be those moments in games where you really do need to dig in, you know, missing key players, you've got injuries, fine. I think it's acceptable. And and they would, I think Brighton would probably have done the same thing if they were missing a couple of key players. You know, you've got to adapt to these situations. If you don't have a Matoma on the left wing, or if you don't have, I don't know, Pascal Gross sitting at the base there, You've got to adapt and you've got to do something different to get through a game. And just like that, we had to do the same without Mitro. And so I get it because that's what Brighton fans have seen in the, they haven't seen us play since we beat them at home and they've just gone, well, this is an anti-football team because that's how they played against us. But as Mm. Fulham fans, we know that's not, and we know we've got a philosophy over the past, what, probably five, well, longer than that, seven, eight years probably where we've turned into a club that almost demands attractive football. And I think it's it's one of the reasons why we saw the demise of Ranieri so quickly and why Parker draw, drew so much ill feeling is because they weren't playing the football that sort of we'd come to expect from a Fulham side, whereas Marco Silva does. But every now and then you've got to go against that and you've got to do something different just to just to pick up points in a game and it worked. I am going to watch some of Brighton's matches against the top sides that yeah. later this season with keen interest. I can't wait to see them go away to Arsenal or go to City. I don't I don't know exactly what their fixtures look like, but I'm sure they've got to face them between now and the end of the season. I'm going to be there watching with a magnifying glass at the telly, waiting for one of them to hold their head. And I'm Brilliant. tweeting at, I don't know, like Secret Seagulls. Super or Seagulls, on Twitter. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Matoma season. <laughs> Brilliant. Just like, come on, you would do the exact same if you were under the cosh and you were at a difficult away ground and stuff like that. Let's not let's not pretend that you wouldn't. I just also think we weren't actually that bad. Like, I think there were some moments where, yeah, we were probably a bit smart. But, you know, you're talking a head injury to Polina in the box, a clash of heads. There's not much that you can do there. You know, he's gone down, he stayed down because it hurt. And the referee's got to stop play because it's a head injury. And then Jedi went down after what looked like a heavy challenge. I mean, we were at the other end of the pitch, but I turned to you when it happened because it just looked like it was a heavy challenge. But outside of that, I can't remember us wasting that much time in the game. I think it was more defensive football as opposed to consistent and blatant time wasting. I, I don't know if it was apparent from the away end, but there were more than 10 occasions where the Brighton fans were absolutely up in arms about what we were doing or what the referee was doing. Um, there was an instance, it was even on the match day highlights where William Pereira actually made a tackle, a high tackle on one of their players. No foul. Yes. <laughs> he just played on. And then we, it was, was a poor challenge. A corner from it. it was a really bad challenge. It was on yeah. Solly March, wasn't it? And then, yeah, yeah we won yeah. a corner off the back of it. And we appealed for a penalty like seconds later. Yeah, um, for, for a handball. But Deser- I, I can completely understand why Deserby got sent off um, because he, he was up in arms Um I thought the referee didn't have a strong game at all. I thought the, the Paulinia yellow card was not a yellow card. The Willian yellow card was definitely not a yellow card as well. It actually epitomises Fulham because we got the performance that we put in. Four yellow cards all in the last 10 minutes of the game. Just sort of epitomising the fact that we just want to get this done. At, at, like just come away with a point and, uh, and do anything we can to, to do that. And obviously we won the game. So it, it, the whole thing was just, it was one of the weirdest, funniest games I've ever been at ever. I think the referee, though, got two of the big decisions right. Um, they had a couple of penalty claims that mm. I saw a lot of Brighton fans complaining about on Twitter. But the first one was Anthony Robinson on Veltman, I think, just kind of left his leg out. But there was nothing, nothing in it whatsoever. And then the second one was Tete poking the ball away from Matoma. And he clearly got a piece of the ball. So I don't think they have too much to complain about with the referee and how he ref Joel game, Veltman but- came out and said it wasn't mm. a penalty. Joel Veltman himself in an interview said that he, that he thought the referee made the right decision. He congratulated him on it. So stuff it up, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, there was a couple of Brighton fans on my train being like, look, we scored two offside goals. You were very lucky. I was like... But there was offside. Hey, what? It wasn't even one of those offsides where like it was a millimetre, they had to get out the rulers and all of that. The linesman flagged to all of them in the stadium. There was absolutely no, none of those goals, even from the other end, was I actually worried that that, I was like, that has to be offside because you just, you. I mean, a couple of them were a bit closer than I actually thought Mm. they were. But in the stadium at the time, I was like, you can't be like telling me on the train that you deserve to win because you scored a couple of offside goals. Like, what? That's ridiculous. <laughs> you, you know, it's not that close, not that like close to being onside when one of them didn't even make the match of the day highlights. Like yeah. one of the offside goals just didn't, mm-hmm. wasn't even worthy of getting on the highlights because it was just yeah, so right. far they off. Didn't, didn't draw any lines, so it doesn't count as close. Yeah. Um, let's just talk about the late um, impact subs, Bryce. Um, Vinicius um, and Solomon were the two ones that obviously linked up for the goal. Amazing how it comes about the goal, because actually for a second, we're in a real spot of bother because Kenny Tete drops an absolute bollock with a horrendous pass that um, Brighton conspired to mess up. And then Reem suddenly turns it into a massive attacking opportunity. It's kind of weird how it just caught Brighton out. And 
I feel like, look, Solomon's finish is fantastic. We all love Mala Solomon, but we need to give Vinicius some credit. He somehow just managed to get that ball through to Solomon and it's a brilliant assist. Yes, of course, Mala Solomon has so much more work to do, but actually I feel like we'd need to give Vinicius a rare bit of praise because he that was that was the, what made the goal. Yeah, I think an amazing showing of strength. He bossed Veltman off the ball and played a great through ball to Solomon who had to get his first touch exactly right. Like, because Dunk was closing him down, he had to get the first touch right, took it straight into the box, and then the left-footed finish is just insane. But I think Silva definitely got it right with the substitutions. I thought Solomon... I was expecting to see him maybe a little bit earlier just because everyone looked a little leggy. He came on in, I think, the 81st minute and obviously made a huge impact. Um, massive credit to Reem instead of just booting the ball, you know, finding Vinicius. And yeah, Vinicius, despite not starting, deserves huge credit. Two moments this season against Chelsea and then yesterday where he's basically got us six points in a way. And, you know, he hasn't been the best as a backup for Mitro. And I don't think he's the long-term answer to someone that's backing up Mitrovic, but he's definitely chipped in and, and played a part. So he deserves, deserves a shout out definitely. But once that ball hit the back of the net, Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Just thinking about it. What a moment. I mean, Dan is, I mean, uh, Carlos Vinicius is becoming Fulham's Divock Origi, just yeah. popping up at big moments, despite not actually being that amazing. He's just got, I feel like he's going to be our big moment player. He's going to win us a cup final. He's, he's got huge cult hero energy, I think. There, there's something in this yeah. where, because there was a lot at the start of the season as well, a few games in when everyone had written him off, me included. I think we were a little bit like, I think he started off relatively promising and then we saw him lead the line and we were like, ah, this thing, you might not be the guy for this job. But there's there's something to be said about players who just almost like that sense of occasion, like sort of just rise to it. And yeah, I th I th he did make a difference in general, though, when, when he came on without maybe like there was a couple of moments when he actually gave us something to go for in the box. There was a couple mm. of times when Anthony Robinson got down the left and yes, he fluffed them in the end, Vinicius, but there's, there's just like the, the movement, the positioning, the strength are as close as we can get to replicating Mitrovic up top. And mm -hmm. I think because Mitro is such a key cog in this system, you're probably your best bet is to try and replicate it as best you can because everything is engineered to play through him and around him. So yeah, big credit to Carlos. I love it. And it, he may never score another Fulham goal and he may never get another assist, but we will not forget him for a long, long time because mm. he's produced he's two, two huge moments in this season in what could be an amazing season. And just also on what Bryce said, which I think was is so valid. If, if people go and watch back the goal, it's incredible that Manuel Solomon only takes one touch before shooting. He takes his first touch like 35 yards out and it carries him all the way into the box. Like it is the perfect first touch. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I had seen limited highlights of, of Mana Solomon, but there is the goal that he scored in the Champions League against Real Madrid. And there is a lot of similarities to that mm. 
goal that he scored it feels like one out of the the playbook that Solomon's able to play um I mean he if obviously I think Carlos Vinicius might be a cult hero but there's something about Mana Solomon which just feels like potential hero and um I just like that the chant for him yesterday was just extra loud I think everyone knows that like we need to keep this guy and he's only on loan like we need to convince him that we need to make him look fall in love with Fulham um because if he makes a decision in the summer he's got one to make and the the downside of him scoring good goals for us is that other teams might notice and realize the situation so as there's a big challenge for Fulham to to secure his services in the summer because surely we're going to want to um now we're going to be staying in the Premier League I think we can all agree now I think I don't think I'm cursing we need two more points points. we need two more points I think we'll be okay (laughs) Sammy I was just going to say quickly the ironic thing about that is we were worried about Manuel Solomon not staying at Fulham because he might go to a club in Europe who are just a better caliber team than us um, because of his talents. And yet we might just get Europe and just, and just keep him. And I think, I think he yeah. will stay. I think he will definitely stay. I'm, I'm fairly confident. Sammy James, you have to say what you said to us on the train from Lewis to Falmer about mm. if Fulham win today. What did you say? I said, I'm, I'm happy to repeat it. I said, if Fulham win today, then you have to start taking that. We have to be considered in the top four race. Yeah. Champions League. I don't yeah. think that. I, I, I said it thinking we're not going to win today. And, I, and look, obviously <laughs> that Spurs win against West Ham means that it's now um, a few more points back. But if people are talking about Liverpool being in the top four race and look how much further behind they are than us, I mean, so people probably, I reckon if you look in the odds, then Chelsea's odds are probably still higher than us. Let's have a look. I don't think it's going to happen, but with the way we're playing and the fact that Newcastle, uh, sorry, that Newcastle, I feel like are looking a little bit weary at the moment. It's all kind of, it's a small squad and it's built up on them. Spurs have got massive injuries. We know the other teams are, are in a lot of bother. I still think Brighton have actually got a little bit on us. They've got two games in hand. They're only three points behind. I'm not saying we're going to finish in the top four, but if you're writing an article tomorrow about the contenders for the top four and you don't include Fulham, then I actually think that you've got it wrong. I've just got the odds up here. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool are at, uh, Liverpool at 2.5 to 1. Um, meaning you put a pound and you get £2.50 back uh, Brighton are at 12 to 1 Chelsea at 26 to 1 any guesses as to what Fulham are at? 75 to 1 80 to 1 whack a tenner on it huh? God that is whack a tenner on it territory isn't it? 80 to 1 <laughs> and we played first on high. Friday we could, we could close that gap again it's insane I mean, um, as I said, I don't think we will. I don't think we should. I just think that we're in the top four race. Um, there was a few people I spoke to about it after the game yesterday and everyone thought I'd grown two eggs. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think it's going to take a long time for people to consider that that actually might be a possibility. I just think the way that it's going, the way that Fulham are playing and the fixtures, the way they fall as well, if we can just keep our you know, keep getting some points in the next month while we've got really tough fixtures. I think then if there was a sniff and we're going into April and we've got very kind fixtures in April and May for most of it, don't rule us out. I think there's one spot off for grabs. Clearly the top three are the top three and that's not changing, but I think there is a fourth place up for grabs and I think Fulham are in the race. So we shall see. Right. We're going to take a break. We've got tons of questions to get through. 
Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here, joined by Jack Kelly, Dan Cook and Bryce Koval. Thank you to everyone as ever supporting Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community. Loads of you joining up, which um, is extremely exciting for us. It's a way of supporting the content that we do, the podcasts, the videos, the articles. Um, it's a way of financially contributing, making sure everything ticks over and we can pay all of our costs uh, for making all of the content that we do. Uh, there is a link in the description of this podcast. You can also find all the details on the Fulhamish website if you go to the support Fulhamish section as a bonus you get access uh, to our three telegram chats which um, as you can imagine have been absolutely popping off today um, I'm getting a buzz every about two seconds so yeah as a bonus you get access to our wonderful uh, telegram community which is full of uh, lovely people um, and yeah it's a, it's a great way of supporting the pod if you can but as I always say we keep everything free. So if you can't or don't want to support us, that is absolutely fine. You crack on. Right, let's do some questions. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I have never seen the questions. I might have to save some for the Thursday club. I've got 50 questions. I don't know what I'm going to do here. Um, so we're going to have to rattle through um, some of these. Dan, I'm going to go to you on this first one. Um, at Opinions FC, Marco Silver is Magic says, best limbs since dot, dot, dot. Oh, you know what it reminded me of? And it's because we were having, I was having this conversation about like, you know, slightly scrappy win. Peterborough mm. away. Peterborough mm. away last season were really good. Late-ish, 1-0 um, mm. limbs. I, I did enjoy those. Oh, what else have we had? Is that, Borough, that was, was, ama- Borough, Borough was amazing, but maybe because it wasn't a full away end, it this, felt slightly this is the different. Thing. I think it needs... It needs to be a full away end just to get those limbs really going. But I, yeah, I think I'd probably say off the top of my head, Peterborough away last season. Leeds away this year was, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but Leeds away was pretty good. Yeah. And also the Forest one where Harrison Reed scored that third in about five minutes was, was pretty special, but there was something about yesterday, which just, I think eclipsed it all just the late winner. And just the, the, the absurdity of winning that game, yeah. I think just made it something. I mean, there's, uh, there's another question uh, that we had and, and I'm struggling to find it now and I will find, Oh, here we go. Uh, Killian Murphy said Solomon's goal had definite shades of Diamancy camera away at Man City in 2008 about it. Where does Saturday's goal rank with other memorable late breakaway FFC goals? I mean, Jack, it will never quite be Diamancy Camera against Man City. We were relegated at half time yeah. and he made, made a st- yes, that made a stay in the Premier League. As good as yesterday's was, it's not Diamancy Camera vibes. But yeah, uh, any other kind of like late winners like that? We talked about Norwood's one earlier. Yeah, I think one, even the limbs, the one that comes to mind for me is, is in similar in terms of context as in late winner and actually it's a late sealer Brentford away Kearney 16-17 because mm. he sort of takes it one touch two touch and finishes and obviously then we win the game and sends everyone mental but um, we don't get many late winners we really don't I mean Mitrovic against Swansea that was very very good that crashing header especially after they had almost got a yeah. penalty down the other end And uh, but yeah in terms of context of the Diamancy camera one is is going to be very very hard to beat. Um, yeah, you know that's all time. That, yeah, uh, but in terms of that Until win, Old takes Trafford us. away, last day of the season, <laughs> just no, well, we secure just the Champions secure, League. secure Champions League. That's that's going to be the all time. <laughs> in terms of smash and grab sort of situation, Darren Brent, Darren Bent's header against United in thirteen fourteen was very similar. 
obviously that was only a draw. Um, but to beat the team who are joint sixth with you to go sixth, um, it is is really 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 special. And but so that with Diamante Camera, obviously that being the best one, that Solomon's goal will be up there. And come the end of the season, it could be a vital vital three points. Yeah, it really is definitely one of those ones I think we'll remember for for an awful long time. Um, let's come on to something uh, a little bit uh, worrying after yesterday's game. Richard Bamber, uh, one of our uh, good friends on this pod, often comes up with three-word reviews, but he's come up with a good question. He said, why do you think we pick up so many yellow cards, often ridiculous ones like yesterday? Aren't we the worst in the league, but we are hardly a dirty side? Um, yeah, there is some, I mean, the one that's actually genuinely got to think about Dan is Jao Polinia is now on nine yellow cards so um, I mean he is getting a two match ban at some point I think he's he'd have to go about eight games I think now without a yellow in order to avoid the two match suspension I mean he did do very well for quite a long time of not getting a yellow so maybe he can do it again Um, but yeah we do pick up an awful lot of yellow cards but weirdly very few reds only still one red card, which was the Nathaniel Chalaber one. But yeah, the amount of yellows we accumulate, I mean, it's it's absurd. Yeah, I think there's two elements to it, which is one, we are an aggressive sort of front foot pressing side. And I think that leads to these sort of, these moments when it just gets, a, it boils over a little bit, you get a slightly heavy challenge, someone just gets a bit carried away. I think there's also a sort of a streetwise element to us. I think Marco Silva has made us very smart and we pick up quite a few yellow cards here and there by just being, you know, taking the right decision in giving away a foul and just taking the yellow. And I think that's uh, something that Marco's brought in, this game management, which I think he's it, the team have been fantastic at. But I guess there's one other thing as well, which I think at times we can be a bit petulant. At times we can overreact. We've got this this whole thing where, and again, I think it comes from Marco Silva, but we do flood the referee a lot. They, we do, you know, Mitrovic particularly is guilty very often of dissent and getting up in the referee's face. Mm-hmm. And so there's that element to it as well, but to have five more yellow cards than anyone else in the league is quite, it's quite big. It, it, I guess it just, it just adds up when you've got combative players, you've got, you know, Kenny Teto who loves a challenge. You've got Joao Polina who loves a challenge. It just adds up, I guess, over time. And it is a slight worry, but I guess the number of games that Polina is going to win us across the season outweighs missing him for three or four games through suspension is probably the way you weigh it up. I think the thing with Polina, I think maybe at the start of the season, he just really didn't, I don't know if he maybe thought about the consequences of yellow cards. And I think he started to realise, and obviously since then, I think he only picks up yellow cards that he needs to mostly. Um, but I think it was And the past two have been harsh. Mm. Yeah. And Chelsea's, I'm pretty sure that was yeah, a bit of a... Never the one he got at Chelsea, no, I just didn't feel no, like no, a yellow no. either. So I think there's also like a, a reputation thing in there that maybe starts to build as well with him. You know, I'm sure as a referee, you keep an eye out for players like that who you know are combative. But There's also a point that like, you'd rather have that than have it swing the other way. We, we've had Premier League campaigns where we've been such a soft touch and we haven't really laid a glove on them. And it it is dirty, it is dark arts, and I do love it. But it also stamps an authority. You, you can't mess with Fulham because they will hack you down. They will. They they are willing to sacrifice themselves and get a yellow card for the sake of a a result. And um, you know the fact that we've seen Marco Silva suspended for a game. It all stems down from the manager to the players. So 
there is that message out there. And I, I don't really have, apart from the suspensions and, you know, five yellows and 10 yellows will get you suspensions. I don't really have anything to complain about it. I'd, I'd rather it be this way than, than the complete polar opposite. I was going to say, like Dan said, it just goes to show the intensity that we're playing with, I think is the biggest part. But yeah, I was just looking at the stats and we have 59 compared to Liverpool, who has the, the least with 24. So that is a pretty wow. big, <laughs> pretty big disparity. <laughs> yeah, Bryce, we've had this question from Adam HM, who says the Polinia yellow cards and the looming suspension. We all knew he was going to miss a few games and it's frustrating that some of the yellows recently have been harsh. Is there any temptation to rotate on Friday so that he'll be available for the Brentford game? I mean, part of me thinks that that's a, a false economy to drop him for a game so that he doesn't pick up yellows so that he doesn't miss games. I feel like it's just, you it, tell Polina not to get booked against Wolves if he can absolutely avoid it. That's, that's he, He's just going to have to walk that tightrope for as many games as he can, see if he can get to the magic 32 game mark. I, I feel like you can't just drop him because he might get a yellow. And I, I yeah. appreciate that Adam, Adam has caveated his question with saying it's unlikely. I think... Especially because Marco Silva, you always hear him say, you know, we take it one game at a time. I, I don't think he would ever look forward and think about resting someone as important as Polina. But it is good to know that we have a really competent backup in Sasha Lukic now. So if yes. when he does get suspended, which feels inevitable um, at this point, but when he does, then I'm excited to see Lukic start a match and see what he's all about. So, yeah. Just yeah. one one yeah. one thing on it, Sammy. That and I, I, you get is careful because we're, with football, like we're getting to a point where it's already really overanalyzed, and there's a lot of things that that get done. But I do think there has to be a discussion around retrospectively rescinding yellow cards at some point mm. because these things start to accumulate over a season. And if Joao Polina is missing two games, consecutive games through ten yellow cards, and three or four of them might have gone to review and not been a yellow card, that's huge in our season. You know, and, and, and the like the league hinges on these things. If we miss out on something, and obviously there's so many if buts in there, but if we miss out on something by a point and the games that Polina was out for, we lose, which we did the last time he was out, there's something in that where I think you've got there's gotta be something maybe thought about done because it's not right that we may lose him for two games when he should only be on seven yellow cards at the moment. I think there has to be some sort of like appeals system, a bit like tennis, yeah. where you maybe get a couple of challenges a year because challenges to the challenge. We'll see. I can see why they don't have it because teams get dozens of yellow cards. Fifty nine people with <laughs> Yeah, if we were challenging every single one of them, then the FA would be bloody busy. But I feel like there must be a couple of times where you're like, can we please just look at that one? He, like, he literally didn't touch him or something like that. It seems to be like there's this whole system for red cards. But as you say, we're going to lose Jao Polini for three games this season because of yellow cards. And if it is the case that actually some of those yellow cards, when we know that for a fact that some of those yellow cards, I, I believe Silva said in one of his press conferences that Jao Polini is the only person to have had a yellow card for celebrating with the crowd this season yeah. in the entire league <laughs> like that's a bit unfair right is he the only person that's celebrated with the crowd in the league i'm going to be fairly sure that he isn't yeah, definitely not and um, dan this question from pk at fulham 1000 he says supposedly we are still 20th for chances against in the league do we think this will eventually catch up with us uh, on, on a mean reversion or is there some sort of other explanation the leno effect for example um 
I've had a few mates that are stats inclined who are trying to, I don't know, quell my optimism, um, trying to burn out my, uh, my, my happiness by saying that we're getting lucky or something like that, that we're bucking the trend, that we are conceding a lot of chances. I know Jack's been talking about it. There is an element of like, it feels like we're pushing our luck a tad, but also Show me that game yesterday that Brighton's, you know, the XG was 2.7 to Brighton, 0.2 to Fulham. Now, there's no doubt that Brighton were better yesterday, but I don't think that Brighton should have won that game 3-0. Is there an explanation? Because obviously the stats don't suggest that Fulham should be sixth. No, they don't. And Bern Leno is one part of that because he is statistically the best goalkeeper in the Premier League this season. So if you look at post-shot XG, so the you know the likelihood of a, of a shot going in after it's been hit based on where it's going to go in the goal, Burn Leno has prevented the most this season. And that's, that's incredible. But beyond that, I guess there's an element as well of, I think we give up a lot of shots. I don't know how many clear-cut opportunities we give away. And I think that comes from that Brighton game yesterday. You see that of like, there's opportunities that the opposition have, but we're very good at getting in the way. I think we get a lot of blocks in, you know, Tim Ream and, to- and uh, Issa Diop are quite sort of aggressive defenders in the box. So they get in the way of a lot of shots. We saw it yesterday. I think Evan Ferguson got charged down once by Diop and Tim Ream blocked another, I think from Matoma. So, but then I think there is just an element of we are, we have lapses in concentration. And we spoke about this a couple of pods ago where I do think that we are defensively very good for like 88 minutes of a game, but there are some moments and against the big teams we saw, you know, against City, against United, against Arsenal, where we have that one lapse and that's where it costs us. But against some teams, it just hasn't been costing us. And I think there is a, a potential there that, you know, we are on the lucky side of things where we're benefiting from opposition teams not being as clinical as maybe we are. Because I think in general, we are quite good in front of goal and we do take our chances. We saw it yesterday. So I think there's a lot of factors at play and I think it's not as simple. And I think this is the tricky thing with stats. I'm a big fan of, of stats in football, but there is an element where you've got to have both the eye test and the numbers test. And I think by watching Fulham, you would understand that, okay, maybe they're not as quite as good as, you know, we're not the sixth, sixth best team in the league, but also based on the stats, we're better than the numbers show. So I think there's a middle meeting point there where if you both watch us and look at the numbers, you get a team who is probably the 9th, 10th, 11th best team in the league. Yeah, I was going to say that the eye test, I'm still thinking that Fulham are mostly value for where we are. Like, yeah, you can say we're 20th for chances conceded. Are you trying to tell me that Fulham are the 20th best team in the league? Because that just isn't the case. Like, we've all seen it with our own eyes. There is a couple of times where I'm like, this is obviously a good season. There are things that are happening this season that may never happen in future seasons. A lot of things have come together at the right time. I think we've played teams often at the right time as well this season you know it has just been one of those that we're always going to remember this is one of those glorious years where a lot of things have clicked but also like there is an element of like I don't know if the stats are really painting a true picture of, of what's actually going on um just a quick one, which is uh, you listened to last week's Thursday Club. You might remember we discussed on the podcast about penalties being scored against us and how it seems like Fulham don't save many. As ever, Cottage Analytic, Chris Frank, with the 
definitive answer on this. Uh, he said, on penalties not scored against us, the last 20 penalties we faced outside of shootouts have all been scored. The last miss was the Millwall one discussed, which we which we mentioned. Um, to find a penalty saved, you need to go back 31 penalties to the 2-2 draw with Brighton in 2018, which was Bettinelli saving from Pascal Gross. Wow. My word. That was a so yeah, game. Fulham are not particularly good at uh, at saving penalties. Leno's got one in him. I think he's got one in him. Yeah. But I think I think that's that's there's like that's too far beyond like just bad luck or good penalty taking because the the numbers sit somewhere like I think it's like seventy seven or seventy eight percent of penalties are scored, and so like based on those numbers for you know what one in what was it one in thirty we've saved like what we haven't like hasn't gone in against us so that's what 97 percent of the penalties we faced in the last 30 have gone in like that's a long way off the average yeah no it feels um feels like there's one due as bryce you were saying leno's leno's due one isn't he he's due one he's he'll he'll get one <laughs> yeah Again, it's one of those things. I don't want to test it out. I don't want us to concede penalties in order for it to happen. But yeah, it would be nice to see um, Leno save one. But again, I I mean, I'm more than happy just not conceding penalties. That would be the ideal uh, for Fulham. Uh, A few more questions uh, before we finish. I'm sorry, there are so many. So we're going to rattle through these. Um, Bryce Desi6262 says, when does Solomon get a start? This is interesting now, isn't it? Because my word, he is pushing... Well, mostly Willian. I mean, he must be like, oh, how's my luck? The, like the player ahead of me. But then, you know, there's the position, there's Bobby position on the right. Potentially Willian could go there and Solomon left. Like tricky one because he is doing so much to, to earn a starting place at the moment. I think he could start against Wolves. And I think he should, to be honest. I mean, Mitro sounds like he's going to be out for more than just this last game. So... I think Solomon could push for a start. I mean, he's shown how good he is. Two goals in 80-some minutes um, to start his Premier League career. So it's pretty amazing. He just provides such a spark. He's so quick, so dangerous. Every time he gets a ball, it feels like something's going to happen. I think it'll be interesting to see if Silva goes with Vinicius up top or if he tries the the Bobby Reed experiment. Um, but I could see Solomon starting ahead of either Bobby Decordova Reed or Harry Wilson, whoever whoever is kind of in that line. But I think very soon, if not against Wolves, then very soon. And he deserves it fully. Uh, let's go on to this uh, question. Uh, Jack, I'll ask this to you. FFC's Dom says, how much money are we all contributing to the Marco Silva new contract fund? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I would like Marcus Silva to like sign a contract, please. Um, I've seen uh, some of our neighbours up the road um, touting him as a replacement for Potter. I'm like, oi, leave us alone. Don't even think about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I loved that quote in the week he did in the press conference where he said, Fulham is my home. Um, well, obviously, we know that Marcus Silva... Um, you can't necessarily believe every word he says. Um, he has a history for it, but it just feels right right now. Surely it's got to be around the corner. Surely you can say that about what happened with with Watford and Everton, but you know, uh, I think he's learned from those lessons and he's looked at Fulham even before he came to the club and saw a long term project, um, the potential of automatic promotion, 
and then and then what could be had with the investment that the Khans do put into the club. Um, and he's thrived in in almost two seasons. He's taking us from um, didn't really know where we we're going on when Parker left um, to on the brink of a European tour, like in the Premier League, going into the Europa League, Conference League, or even held the Champions League. 80 to 1 odds. The champions. <laughs> bom, 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 I'm going to have to brush bom, up bom, on my bom. piano skills to, to get that one uh, get that one done. Um, but honestly, um, in terms of the new contract, he, I, I have no inside, of, I, I have no idea. I've got absolutely no clue. Um, but I would imagine they're, they're discussing it. They have to be. And, and, and yeah, like he should, I'd like him to sign a, a three, four, five year deal. Um, and like if if Potter goes, um, and Silver's touted, because he he might be like he's in that bracket now where he's that manager that's impressed everyone, um, like Potter did at Brighton, and he could go to a, a big again. But I think he would have learned from his lessons, and he's gone. No, I've got a good thing here at Fulham. I'm happy. Um, I've got a good squad. I know I've got a good relationship with um, Tony Khan. I don't necessarily think he'll walk, uh, and I can't believe I'm, we're even discussing it. Really, I think that is sort of even like upsets me even thinking about it but um i'd like to think that marco is going to be here for for a while and i will touch all that wood i can find yeah i, I think that honestly the day will come I, I i think at the way it's going i think it's big european clubs that we yeah, mostly maybe. would need to worry about more than maybe english clubs I mean, obviously, if Arsenal offer him a job, I think he's going to consider it. But I just don't see there being a huge amount of jobs coming up that he would accept. However, I honestly think it's one of the big European ones in the coming years is going to happen. And then I think Marcus Silva might be the kind of manager they might might look at. But let's cross that bridge. Let's not even talk about it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not today. And I think he's staying for a little while. Uh that is it for the questions today. There are so many that I like haven't done. Um, I'm going to save some of them for the Thursday club because there are so many good ones here. And I know we often do emails on the Thursday club. But I'm going to save some of these questions for, for Thursday's show with uh, Jack and Peter because they're, they're brilliant. And it's a bit of a shame that we haven't got time to go through all of them. So thank you for, uh, for getting involved in those. Um, all we need to do uh, for the rest of the podcast today is name it. So Mr. Dan Cook, what would you like to go for? I think... Based on the reaction earlier when we read these out, it, I was originally going to give it to Louis with Man or the Moment, but the the group reaction to Yo-Yo to Euro of Richard Sol Bamba, I think has to be the clincher. So well done, Sol. Yeah, I love it. It just it sums up the fit situation. And, you know, we maybe could have gone for like smash and grab is obviously the three words that everyone kind of was saying yesterday and obviously like um man or puns and stuff but i like that um that really represents the feeling and just the, the whirlwind of change and that less than a year for them have changed from a yo-yo club to something that is genuinely it actually could happen now europe could happen i mean it is just um sensational uh thank you very much to my guest today jack kelly thank you thanks sammy dan cook thank you thank you so much sammy and Bryce Koval, great debut. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. It was a pleasure. 
All right. We will return on the Thursday Club previewing Friday's game against Wolves. Enjoy the week with a stride in your step, whether you're going to work or school or college. I imagine it's just going to be that little bit easier this week and there's going to be a bit more of a smile on your face than usual because Fulham are the mustard. Uh, what a day. What an away day. Whether you were there at the Amex or whether you were watching from home, I'm sure you all enjoyed it. Um, a fantastic, fantastic weekend. Can Fulham uh, keep up this momentum uh, against Wolves on Friday? I certainly hope so. So have a lovely week. We'll speak to you later on in the week. But until then, come you whites. You whites. <laughs>